Before we start, just a warning that this episode contains references to sexual assault. The hockey world has been rocked by allegations that the Chicago Blackhawks failed to adequately address the sexual assault of a player by a video coach during the 2010 Stanley Cup season. Former first-round draft pick Kyle Beach revealed himself to be the player at the center of a lawsuit against the club and an internal investigation launched by the team. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post sports writer Scott Stinson joins me to discuss the details of the investigation, who's been held accountable so far, and how the culture of hockey needs to change to protect players from abuse. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Scott, by now, many Canadians, many hockey fans have heard the story of Kyle Beach the allegations he's made against the former video coach for the Chicago Blackhawks dating all the way back to 2010. This is a year that uh, the Chicago Blackhawks went on what's now a pretty memorable Stanley Cup run. But for those who aren't familiar, I'm just wondering, what are the allegations that have been made against the team, against this coach? When did they finally come to light? And why is it now that we're kind of really in the heat of discussing this whole affair? In terms of any sort of wider knowledge that there was something that was being accused here, it, it really didn't come out publicly until this past spring when in May, a former player who at the time was just identified as John Doe filed a civil lawsuit against the Chicago Blackhawks alleging that he had been a victim of sexual assault in the spring of 2010 and that the perpetrator of said assault, uh, the former video coach for the Blackhawks had basically been allowed to leave the organization quietly and that his, you know, career was ruined and he didn't get the proper support and so on and so forth. So that first came out in the spring and some eyebrows were raised and some reporting was done. Good reporting, I should note. But it didn't really attract the sort of major attention of the hockey world until such time as this past week, a independent law firm's investigation into the report, a law firm that was hired by the Blackhawks, came out and, and basically laid the whole thing out in full, including what the player's recollection was, what the various members of the Blackhawks executive team at the time had to say about it. And that report itself basically painted a lot of those executives in a bad light as having not really responded properly. GM Stan Bowman resigned pretty much immediately. And then that night, John Doe came forward and identified himself as Kyle Beach, a former first round draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. He told a very emotional story on an interview with TSN's Rick Westhead. And from there, the story really exploded. Once you saw him in his own words, talk about the pain he had felt and the shame he had felt, that ended up, I think, fairly directly causing the resignation of Florida Panthers coach Joel Quenville, who was the head coach of the Blackhawks at the time in 2010, and some more followed. And, and as we've seen in the last few days, like a lot of general questioning about how much the NHL has a role in, has a responsibility for how this all went on without them really knowing about it. So that's sort of how we got to where we are today in a very basic uh, recapping of events. I mean, the allegations are that Kyle Beach says that this former video coach 
he went to his apartment one night. There was an interaction. He alleges that he was threatened with violence yes. um, if he didn't participate in sexual activity with this coach. And what is he saying that happened in the aftermath of that? Did, did he alert other team officials and was told to keep quiet? Did he alert other team officials and say, okay, we're dealing with it? What is he alleging in this lawsuit actually happened? I think it's important to note too, aside from the threat of violence against him, there was also the threat that I can either help your career or I can ruin your career. And the video coach, his name is Brad Aldrich. He was in a position as the video coach with the Blackhawks organization, like on the NHL squad, was in a position where he would have communication regularly with Joel Quenville and the other coaches of that team. And there was a power imbalance in that I think those threats in terms of it to his career could be seen as at least as significant, if not more so than the threats of violence against him, which is what Kyle Beach alleges. So just wanted to note that. And then from there, the story he told to investigators is that he told a coach on the Blackhawks staff, a mental skills coach, uh, essentially. So sort of like a, counselor of sorts but also a you know has some sort of coaching role not a guy who was out on the ice or anything and that his understanding from that coach was that the Blackhawks were going to do something about it this had all happened it's worth noting in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoff run in 2010 so it was a high intensity time for that organization but he was under the impression they were going to do something about it and then as the playoffs unfolded and Kyle Beach continued to be in a group of players who was kind of around the team, but not really part of the team process, you're just basically participating in, in your own skating drills and stuff to stay ready in case of an injury and you get called up. He sees that nothing has been done to this coach. The coach continues to perform his job as previously, gets to the end of the season has his day with Stanley Cup, takes part in the post-Stanley Cup celebrations, goes to Wrigley Field, gets the picture with the cup there, the whole bit. So the player's accusation is that not only did the Hawks not really do anything, that they let this guy who he had accused of sexual assault continue in his job quite happily for some time. So the key part there is that as far as Kyle Beach knew, the idea that they were going to do anything about it seems to have not happened at all, because from what he could tell, there had been no punishment meted out to the guy. As far as Brad Aldrich goes, he leaves the Blackhawks at the end of the season kind of quietly, and then he goes on. He's actually charged and convicted of another sexual assault involving a player on a high school team. That's correct. So he leaves quietly. I think the strangest part of the story to me is the fact that when the allegations are first made, there's a decision to basically not deal with it until after the playoffs are over. And I don't mean to defend that decision at all. Obviously, something like this, these allegations should be taken seriously immediately. But I can sort of see how men in charge of a hockey team trying to win the Stanley Cup might say, let's deal with this when the finals are over. That part of it, I, I can at least understand how that decision was made while, while I don't agree with it. But the bizarre part is that, okay, the finals end, and then what seems to have happened is John McDonough, the president of the Blackhawks at the time, has a meeting with HR and says, hey, we heard this thing about this guy. It sounds bad. And HR calls Brad Aldrich, and he comes in, and they basically say what they've been told, and you can either quit 
or we'll launch an investigation. And he says, well, I'll just quit then. And they say, fine. They give him a severance and that's that. And to me, that is the craziest part of this whole story is that he appears to have just been allowed to walk away. No further investigation, no attempt to have either legal recourse or civil recourse or anything happen against him. There's no attempt to publicize this matter at all. So he does go on and he gets jobs with USA Hockey, the University of Notre Dame at some point. Uh, He ends up at a high school in his hometown in Michigan. And that's where an assault of a hockey player who was a minor at the time happens. And he ends up serving jail time for it. So it's a pretty straight line between the Blackhawks decision to just let him walk away without any further punishment or awareness given to law enforcement officials. And the fact that later on he's convicted of this crime. So it's definitely the part of the story aside from what happened to Kyle beach and and the stuff he's been living with for a decade plus it's the really grim part of the story is that had they been more proactive in responding to this, had they, referred it to law enforcement, then maybe this assault, and who knows if there were others, wouldn't have happened. And as far as Kyle Beach is concerned, what has he said about how this whole incident has affected his life, affected his hockey playing career even? He was picked in the first round. You'd imagine that he'd hoped that he would have played in the NHL, maybe had a a long NHL career. The problem with what Kyle Beach has said is that he basically points out quite fairly that He had all sorts of problems, guilt, shame, alcohol problems, you know, a lot of real difficult feelings after this event, and they adversely affected his career. We don't know how much that stuff was to blame for the fact that he didn't have the NHL career you might have thought of, but the facts show that he was an 11th overall draft pick, somebody who would have been thought to be on the fast track to some sort of NHL career, and he never got a single game in the NHL. The Blackhawks didn't call him up once. He went from a you know a power winger with a promising NHL career to somebody who was traded a couple of years later and has toiled in various European leagues for the rest of his playing career. So as I said, well, you can't really say this necessarily caused that. It seems pretty obvious that the events of that spring in 2010 were a turning point in what was once a very promising NHL career, and he never lived up to that promise. So I think it's one of the reasons why you see a lot of sympathy towards him now, in that obviously he would have had all the mental challenges, but it does appear like his professional career was fairly severely impacted by the events of that spring. In the lawsuit, he was named as John Doe number one. He revealed himself last week to say, I, you know, I am John Doe number one. Why did he decide to go public with his identity as opposed to letting the process go through with, with him being unnamed publicly? Because I imagine that takes a lot of risk, a lot of courage to announce that, yes, I was the victim of an assault. I'm the survivor of a sexual assault, but I need to put my name out there. I think the main reason is just that he realizes how much more of an impact it has when he comes forward himself and tells his own story and isn't just a name on a piece of paper without any kind of emotion attached to it. So you can read the report that the law firm investigation provided and it's heartbreaking in its own way, just to read the way he describes what happened to him and the way the people in positions of power didn't react at the time, but it's not nearly as powerful as hearing it in his own words and with his own image attached and the emotion that he portrayed. So I, 
I think it's mostly the fact that it has a greater impact and he hopes that other people who suffered like he did will be empowered to not necessarily come forward, but to realize that there's other people like him out there that suffered. He has said kind of part of the healing process is to come forward and explain what happened to him. It's worth noting that he, you know, basically had buried all of this for the better part of a decade and only came forward when he had described what had happened to a teammate in, in Europe who basically said, look, you shouldn't just let this go. And then he Googled the name of Brad Aldrich, found out that there had been this criminal case against him. And at that point decided he had to come forward because he didn't want other people to have been victimized. I mean, one of the really sad parts of the story is that he feels personal guilt for what happened to the high school player in Michigan because he didn't come forward strongly enough all those years ago. I think that part was part of his motivating factor as well. Now we have the allegations in the lawsuit against the Blackhawks. We also have the report, as you mentioned, the investigation report lays blame at a lot of people's feet. We've seen some people lose their jobs because of it. Do you feel that the steps that the league has taken, the Chicago Blackhawks organization has taken, do you feel that that has done enough to address what has happened here? There's two parts to that answer. And the first part is the sort of the practical punishments that were meted out. So Stan Bowman resigned, the GM of Blackhawks, Joel Quenville resigned, even though he's no longer with the Blackhawks, he, he resigned from the Panthers. Everybody else who was in Blackhawks management at the time had already left for one reason or another and weren't working in hockey in the NHL circles anyway. Kevin Cheveldayoff, who was the assistant general manager at the time in Chicago and is now the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets, did not get any further punishment. Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, basically deciding that he was a minor enough member of the front office in Chicago in 2010 that he shouldn't bear any responsibility for it. My take on that, I'm not necessarily saying he should have lost his job, but I, I do think questions remain as to why he didn't try to be more involved in this process. It seems pretty bizarre to me that you'd think a serious thing happened and you would just go, well, I guess someone's dealing with it and then move on with your life and never really follow up with the player in question, even though he was a member of their organization for a whole nother season after this. Mm -hmm. So there's that stuff. And then there's the other sort of up in the air question of how can hockey reform itself so that is a place where this kind of thing doesn't happen again. The big takeaway for me from this is that this story came out, there was at the very least an accusation of sexual harassment between a coach and a player, and at the worst, a, a sexual assault. And the Blackhawks organization appeared to just want nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they got rid of the coach in question. The player does not seem to have been given much in the way of support or counseling or help or anything to help his career progress and recover. The NHL Players Association similarly did nothing when they were alerted to these problems by someone else. So I'm not sure what the answer to how you've solved that problem is other than the culture has to change. Speaking of the players, there's the Players Association. The players on the team, you've heard a lot of conflicting reports. Some players say, you know, we didn't know about this until the lawsuit came out, but the investigation showed that Kyle Beach was subjected to some 
hurtful remarks, some abusive remarks from his own teammates during practices. Do we get a sense that the culture of around a team also needs to change to help players come forward so they don't feel ostracized in the dressing room? Absolutely. I mean, look, it's a tricky thing because of the time that has passed and because it's very vague. I mean, he is very clear in that report and and in his interviews that he was subjected to homophobic remarks and derogatory comments and that kind of thing. We don't know all these years later who the people who allegedly said these things are, which of his teammates knew, which of them didn't. It's been sort of generally suggested that by some former teammates that everybody knew, everybody being in air quotes there, Others have said, no, they didn't find out until sometime later when Brad Ulrich was no longer with the organization. So we don't entirely know what happened, but, you know, anybody who's familiar with hockey culture would not be surprised to learn that there was suggestions of derogatory comments, homophobic comments made towards a guy who they had heard rumors of an encounter with a a now dismissed coach. So it's heartbreaking that that's where this went for Kyle Beach, but it's not terribly surprising. And, and it is further proof that, yes, it's not just the executives in charge, but the locker rooms have to change as well. And I mean, we've heard so many stories over the years and especially recently about challenges with diversity in hockey and whether it's racial diversity, whether that's sexual orientation, all kinds of things like that. It's been a culture that is slow to change, and it is still, especially in positions of power, predominantly older white men who are making the decisions and setting the culture tone. And we'll see if over time that changes, but you know, there's been some suggestions already, whether it was the, a group called the Hockey Diversity Alliance, which was formed last year and has since basically said the NHL doesn't want to make significant changes to its diversity policies, that it seems like there's going to be a way to go before we get to a point where this kind of old hockey culture is eradicated. In Hollywood, there was the Me Too movement, and we saw one allegation snowball to another allegation, and, and soon you were hearing stories of sexual harassment, sexual assault in the acting community. Do we have a sense that there could be more allegations coming now that Kyle Beach has put himself forward to say, I'm a survivor, this is what happened to me, that we could hear other cases like this involving NHL clubs? Certainly, I think that is a strong possibility. We've already had a suggestion, this being Tuesday, that there will be a allegation made against a former coach in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. I'm going to be vague on the details there purposely, Dave, because from what I've read, there is no actual lawsuit yet. There's going to be a press conference about a lawsuit. So I don't know what the legal protections are in that scenario are. I don't think they're great. So uh, let's just say that there's going to be at least one more discussion of a lawsuit pertaining to a sexual assault that happened within an organization against, in this case, uh, the wife of a former coach, uh, as opposed to a player. And then we'll see what happens. Look, as you said, with the B2 thing in Hollywood, the floodgates opened and then there was a lot of people that felt empowered to come out and say, well, this happened to me all these years ago and I didn't feel I could go public about it. So we may yet see that more stuff like this comes forward. And when we talk about the culture and the reckoning that has to happen, some of that might help happen very much out in the open. If it goes from one isolated incident to two to three to four to five, 
then probably the actions that have to happen are going to be much more transparent because at that point, the people in charge are going to have to admit that there's a broader problem on their hand other than the actions of a few individuals. You know, it's a story we'll be following closely, an important one that I think the hockey world needs to reckon with. Scott, thanks for your time. Okay, thanks a lot, Dave. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Scott Stinson. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.